As the Lord lives, the man who hath done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold what he has done. Your Majesty, you are that man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Oh, Nathan, what have I done? I have sinned against the Lord. Have mercy upon me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. A heartwarming welcome to the Kindling Podcast, presented to you by Celestial Zeitgeist Ministries. Here, we have uplifting conversations about the Word of God and the Christian faith. Together, let's begin the spiritual journey of bringing hearts to Christ, encouraging one another, and strengthening believers. So I wanted us to discuss uh, prayer on this episode. And uh, prayer is, of course, right, a sacred act that, that we as believers perform. Uh, you know, a tool of communication uh, with God or to God. And, you know, we have various examples of prayer in the Bible, uh, the book of Psalms, for instance, even though it's written in, in, in song format, but... <clears throat> A lot of those psalms read like prayers. I mean, one can say they are prayers, just in song format. And we have prayers like Hannah, Solomon, when he built and consecrated the temple, uh, Jabez for blessing, provision, our Lord in, in, in the garden uh, in John 17. And of course, you know, uh, most popular, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. So I was thinking about how to how best to, to pursue this conversation since you know it has the 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 capacity to like to to span such a wide you know wide berth and I I, I didn't want us to, to start getting lost uh, lost at sea so um, I thought maybe I'll divide the conversation into two and we might end up spending even more time just speaking on one half of it. Uh, and maybe perhaps another time we might cover the second half, but I wanted to divide it into into two to kind of guide the conversation a little bit. Uh, the first half kind of discussing what prayer is, and then the other half, the second half would be what prayer isn't or what it is not, right? So, so under what is prayer? I guess we can talk about a few things and possibly, you know, lay out biblical examples as well or as well as personal experiences as to what prayer is. So um, let's start there. You know, in your, in your, in your estimation and, 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 and you know, uh, discovery in, in the Bible and also maybe even in our, in our church, um, doctrinally and, 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 and otherwise, you know, what, what would you say to you? What, do, what is prayer? What does it represent uh, in, your own, in your own words? Yeah, when I, when I think about prayer, um, I think about the reason why Christ asked us to pray. You know, he says, uh, or why he tells us to pray, he says, you know, man should always pray and cease not, you know, it says because uh, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, prayer is, it's not for God's purpose, it's for our purpose. And the purpose is to uh, reestablish the line of communication, to reestablish that connection. Uh, between man and his creator, between God. You know, if you, if you imagine 
um, to use an analogy that I'm sure most most of our listeners can relate to, um, if you imagine that you know when you are at home, you know, you, or, or a place where you, or maybe you work, where you, you're connected to the network, to the to the Wi-Fi network, um, and then when you leave that place, right, you're no longer connected uh, to that network. Um, until only when you return back to that place does your device, you know, automatically rejoin the network, and that's that's really what prayer is. Um, it's a way for us to be in communication and fellowship with our heavenly Father um, as we navigate the journey of life. Um, and the reason you know Christ admonishes us to pray. Is because when there's a lack of prayer, the, 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 the connection is severed, if you will, right? Um, the, the flesh being weak, you know, you can say, well, yeah, the signal, you know, none of us like it when the signal is weak, right? When we're trying to do something, we're trying to, you know, access something that, that for which we need the internet connection and the signal is weak or and we're like, ah, man, that's terrible. It's a terrible experience. And that's exactly right. When, uh, when we're devoid of prayer, um, you find that typically it signals uh, that uh, the, the spiritual life or the spiritual connection that that person has with God is, uh, is degrading. That connection is degrading. It's a, it's a weak signal. And so that's why Christ admonishes us to, to pray, is to keep that signal strong. And that's, that's yeah. what I think about when I think about the purpose of prayer. It's, it's for our benefits to remain connected in fellowship, in communion uh, with our Creator. Okay. And, and, and definitely agreed with that. Um, there's something, because you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the, the verse or the chapter where Jesus Christ says that we, we have to pray and cease not. And I'm actually glad you, you mentioned that because... There's something I was thinking about, you know, especially after I, you know, I knew we were going to be discussing about about prayer for this episode, and it's it's pertaining to that particular chapter, and that's uh, Luke, right? Luke 18, mm-hmm. and it's that's the the parable that that accompanies that statement, right? Not Luke 18. From, from verse 1, and I, I like the way that inscription is at the top, right? Verse 1, when, when you know, as Luke writes it, it says, and he, he told this parable to, to, the, to, the, to the intent, right? That men ought to pray always, right? And not mm-hmm. faint or to cease not. And then he goes, Christ goes to, to tell this parable or narrates this parable, which to me, after revisiting this parable, you know, I found it like a masterful, a masterful delivery because as short as this parable is, it is so multidimensional because, and what is that parable? So let me do like a, you know, quick, a quick summary of that, of, of the parable, right? In Luke 18 is that there's a judge in a certain city, right? And that judge neither feared God nor respected man. Mm-hmm. So already we have two things here. We have the, the, the position of the man, right? The what he is, right? And then we have the who he is, right? We, we know him as a judge. That's its occupation. That's the seat of power that he occupies. But his character, the who he is, is a man that neither, neither fears God nor man. Already you see he's guilty of the, of the law, right? Of the, of the two most important laws, which is love your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this, this figure in this, um, in this uh, story or this parable that Jesus Christ is constructing is guilty of both, right? Is guilty in not fulfilling both. So he represents, I guess, you know, an evil, unrighteous, just the worst type of person, right? Mm-hmm. Because he does not, he does not live up to, any, you know, the standard of, 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 of those two laws, right? And then included in that story isn't just the judge, right? Is, is a widow. And in that, the widow in that city will keep coming to him because um, she's seeking justice against her adversary. And he, she continues to come to him and he refuses her each time she keeps coming, right? Because she's seeking justice and she wants, she wants a resolution to her problem. 
automatically one can start seeing like, okay, right, you know, that the, 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 the story or the play is starting to form into who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. And at the end of the story, of course, the, the, the bad person who is the judge in the story will get his comeuppance and, 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 and things like that. And the widow will get, you know, what she rightfully deserves. But Christ keeps telling the story. He says for a while, right? He will refuse her, doesn't, doesn't help her solve her problems, right? And then the parable goes on to say, he now says to himself later, like afterwards, that though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow, this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not, you know, beat me down or wear me out or tire me out by her continual coming, right? So that she can, I guess, for lack of a better term, get lost, right? Yep. That's the reason that he's going to help solve this problem, yep. right? And then Jesus says, hear what this unrighteous judge says. Will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, right? Will he delay long over them? Mm-hmm. I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. But then it ends with, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that's so interesting to me because one would think that this story is about, you know, God trying to show us that he is not like this unjust judge right that right. he is he is a god that does not tire out whenever we we, we come to him whenever yep. we we approach him unlike this judge right but that's just one dimension of it i mean one could extract that and make a sermon out of it and 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 make that case for sure but that's not what it is the real focus right the the, the real focus here is what is what is first conveyed at, at first is that this parable the intention of telling this parable is so that we pray and we never stop praying and yeah. who's the person doing that in this parable it's the widow right yes. she's the one that keeps coming to him time after time even knowing the type of person that she's dealing with Right, right, that he's unjust, he's unrighteous, he doesn't care, doesn't regard anybody, right? But nevertheless, even knowing who this person is and the character, she keeps, there's consistency, right? And then for us who know that God is everything opposite, that God is, God is just, God is not corrupt, God is righteous, God does not tire out, how much more in dealing with him should we not be consistent just Correct. as much as this widow is is consistent and then dig, digging even deeper i started asking the question but why is she consistent because if she knows that the person she's dealing with is not the type of person that will that that wants to help her out like you know she knows the character of this person being ungodly whatever it is that's driving this consistency has to be of a a very compelling higher degree than the fact that this, you know, than the fact that this person, than whatever um, kind of character this person is. And then I realized that it's desperation. That's what it is, that it is desperation. And then I began to see a correlation between prayer and desperation, that a person has to be in a place of desperation to truly begin to understand or maybe appreciate or or even perhaps begin to 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 experience what prayer is you know meant to be or what prayer is about because prayer is still a tool right it's a tool by which we communicate to god but what is the proper state that we have to be in to truly understand you know what prayer is supposed to be, right? It's like having a hammer. Yeah, can a, can a, can a hammer kill an insect? Yes, it can. But is that the purpose? It was, was that why it was made? No. Yeah, it can accomplish that. But what is the reason it was made, right? And in looking at that desperation, then it began to open, like, it began to open more understanding, you know, to me 
um, as the state that one has to be in to truly begin to, and, and yeah, of course, when one starts to look at Hannah and you see desperation, but I want, I, before, we, before we dive even deep, deeper into it, the, I, I wanted to tell that parable because that's where it brought me to. I saw a correlation between prayer and desperation. What do you think about that? I mean, desperation is a is a very powerful, you know, motivator, and, and you know that's most of us really. Uh, the times when we are the most prayerful, right? Where where we're the most um, pa- uh, passionate, uh, passion filled, and we desire God the most is when our situation is dire, when it's desperate, um, you know, when we really want something, when we really need something. Um, that's when you know we where we really. Uh, double down on the prayer, um, right. calling upon God, and, and and so your observation is is is, uh, is absolutely uh, correct. You know the um, and and the other component to that is that you only pray and supplicate when you recognize that the situation is outside of your control and that there is one higher than I, right? One mm. higher than I that can that has the authority uh, and has the power to influence my situation to change my situation right in the parable that jesus told that is the the corrupt judge so even though the woman knows maybe you know the sort of eh, or maybe she doesn't even really know the sort of character uh you know the in the inward character of the man yeah that's possible that's possible but what Mm -hmm. she but but what she does know is that he has the authority Mm. um to to change her situation to give her the justice that she's seeking and she's not going to go away until that situation is resolved she's desperate for a change in her situation and so she's going to go to the only man who has the authority to to change it um you know but i do i do think that there you know that that there are different motives for prayer i even though you know desperation is you know is, is uh, I would say the, the the kind of preeminent one, right? You know, especially mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, one of the most one of the most vivid imageries we have of prayer was of Christ in Gethsemane, right? For to for which we're told that you know he was uh, he was praying so you know intensely that he was sweating drops of blood, right? Because right. of just the kind of situation that he the stress that he was under. And, you know, his, his situation was dire and desperate at that moment. And he too goes to, uh, to the one who has the authority. He goes to his heavenly father, uh, you know, in prayer uh, to see if there was a way by which uh, that situation could be changed. Right. Now, I, I, I do agree. And I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, there are different dimensions to it. And I think... The reason why I, I really zeroed in on, on desperation is because, you know, usually, and, and like you said earlier, right, people will come to God because, you know, they have a sort of immediate, um, urgent type of need, right? I began to see the degrees of desperation, like it began to unfold in front of me as I was thinking about it. Right. And usually when we think of desperation, we, we, we usually tether it to, you know, material, a material lack of some sort um, uh, or, or health or financial or, you know, just being in troubles like, oh, my, my wife is sick. And, and immediately you, 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 know, you start praying and seeking God, my children or, or my mom or dad or things like that, that bring us to that place of desperation. Usually when we were thinking about desperation right? We usually think of it in those terms. But the more I thought about it, I, I thought that because in this correlation between desperation, consistency, and prayer, I was thinking about how that desperation has to evolve beyond these, you know, material level, right? To a place where we are constantly groaning for God, right? Where it's because I believe that there are times where that even in hearing the way some people pray, it's almost like an indicator of where their faith level is. I don't know if yeah. you, you've ever gotten that sense. Yep. 
right? Just by listening to the way some people pray, it lets you know maybe where they are, perhaps in their walk or relationship with Christ, right? But I think that the higher one gets, the desperation remains. It's just a different degree. It has evolved to a different state, right? And it's a desperation of constantly groaning. Perhaps that's now what that word starts to become. It's like a groaning for God because we want to know him more, because we want to learn from him more. We want to experience him more. We want to, you know, his light. We talked about truth once, you know, uh, in the first episode, and we want to experience that true life, the 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 largesse of you know who God is. We want to we want to we want to feel Him even more, right? And that to me began all that that is also you know that is desperation. But the only thing is, it is not the most common type of desperation that we usually see, right? In in the lives in the lives of. Um, unbelievers right it's not what we what we're usually accustomed to seeing right but i believe that that's the level that we are supposed to we're supposed to aim or evolve to that's what that desperation is and the more i thought about it and now i now went to uh to romans right chapter chapter eight where paul is trying paul is, is is conveying something there right that all creation is groaning right in 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 labor pains right you know and and even even not only the creation but even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit and and that to me was very was very poignant because one when one listens to like you know the old the the, the old sorry the old hymns like um let's say amazing grace right amazing grace how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me right one realizes that they're a certain way, right? They realize the state that they're in and they want to change. And that's a desperation for someone who was an unbeliever now coming to know Christ, right? Um, and then in prayer, in, in seeking God, in baptism and all of those rites, you know, they become believers and come to know God. But even for us who are believers, who believe in Christ, right? And that's why I think Paul says there that even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, right? That we groan inwardly while we wait for the adoption and redemption of our bodies. That there's a certain level, there's a certain higher level now of desperation, knowing in us that there's something that we're aiming for. There's something we're hoping for right and we're constantly seeking god in prayer to const, you know to move us you know each time towards that that type of you know um experience right that 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 allows us or enables us to to be closer to him to experience beyond what this you know beyond the 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 tethering or 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 the limitations or constraints of of this life. So what do you think about that, you know, trying to understand Paul the Apostle's message in that Romans chapter 8 and, you know, desperation, consistency in in prayer? I think that uh, that is like, uh, I'll use the word high-minded, not not in a sense, not in a negative connotation, but I'll call that like high-minded Christianity. And the reason I say that is because it's, you know, I I, I, I I think about it as, you know, in the um, in the sense that it's it's very similar to um, secular life. Right. You know, mm-hmm. if I am struggling, right, barely making ends meet, start, you know, my, um, you know, living, let's say, paycheck to paycheck or my next meal is not even guaranteed. You can't right. tell me anything about, you know, like desiring like a you know, a higher state of of living or being why because my immediate need hasn't been solved right you know what i mean like my immediate concerns my immediate uh lack has not been addressed um and so only when it, so you know as, as a practice as a just kind of a contrived practical example it's like you know the things the problems i think about or the things that I think about are not the same thing, let's say, Bill Gates thinks about. Why? Right. Because right. he solved the problem of 
needing money, for example, right? To make mm-hmm. it on a day-to-day basis. So his mind or his desires are operating at a higher level than mine. You know, I, I liken it to, like, you know, um, uh, you're familiar with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You right. know, it's, and we, we also see this in like the evolution of, um, of societies, right? You know, before we can get to the place where, we, where a society can sustain like, you know, artisans and craftsmen, that society, you know, as, should have gone to a place where um, being able to feed itself, right, that problem has, has been solved. You're not going to get to a place where people can be, you know, can, can start dabbling in the arts and music and all kinds of more, you know, of different aesthetic things unless the base things have been addressed. And so, you know, I think, and this is, this is not me saying that I disagree with you. I agree, I agree entirely with your point. Uh, I just want to pull us back first and say that, you know, even as a Christian, before I, you know, and this is my, my, my perspective is that before we can even arrive at the level that Paul is writing about, where you're absolutely right, where our prayers are a, a yearning for God, not a yearning for what God can do for me today to fix my problem, but an actual yearning to, to, to draw nearer to God, to an actual yearning for the truth of God to pervade one's life, an actual desire for God himself, for all that God is. Um, you know, for the desire for the, the, the world to come. And, and the, the, I'll, I'll use a, a phrase from, I'll borrow from, from one of the celestial hymns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, desiring the beauty of heavenly, heavenly grace. grace. Right. I, I, don't th- you know, I don't think a Christian wakes up one morning and, and is, is automatically there. Right. You know, that is the, the, the It needs the to evolve. It needs right. to evolve. And this is right. why you know, the Bible says, you know, or uh, Peter, both Peter and Paul, you know, kind of use the same analogy of, you know, being babes, but then growing up spiritually as well, right? It's the same right. way as in the secular world, right? Even spiritually, when you start out, you, you know, it's like when, a, when, when, you're, when you're raising a baby, all they, you know, all they do is just talk about their needs. You know, they cry, give me milk. They cry, you know, change me. They cry, pick me up. It's, it's all about them. But the hope is that as they grow and as they mature, they they recognize that oh it's you know I I I am not, it's not about me, right? It's 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 I I, des- I too want to want to give of myself as opposed to receiving all the time, and so that that introspection and that reflection uh, of of what it's all about begins to take root in them and i think that i think what you're laying out there is the journey of the believer is going from the place where the desperation uh that that is the motive of our prayers initially starts from the man i really need this lord give me this and ultimately matures into the place where it's like lord i just need you right i actually i and I, and, I, and I agree, of course, you know, that's why, that's why I said earlier that it, it, it needs to evolve, right? It needs to, it, it's not a, and rightfully said, right? It's not something that you arrive at, you know, on the onset. Um, but as you were speaking, I kept thinking, especially about our church, because we're highly, we're a highly symbolic church, that even the act of kneeling that we do in prayer, it seems to me that it's meant to convey right that mode of desperation or groaning mm-hmm. because because when we when, when a person is kneeling it's almost like a it's a yeah, position right yeah. it's synonymous it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deferential position right exactly a submissive one you know where you exactly you, when you kneel before someone like it's because they have the higher authority than you right exactly so it seems that we found a way to articulate it even in 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 the in the gesture right these elements of the state that we have we ought to be in when you know when we when we are praying and and that is why in that parable you know um 
when Christ says, nevertheless, though, you know, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that's the question, is that, yes, you know, this is supposed to evolve, but I guess we can talk about what are some of those hindrances, right, that perhaps, I know we're still talking about prayer, but it's the consistency, right? Yeah. We're dwelling on the consistency of it. Mm-hmm. What do you believe are some of those hindrances that happen that can probably stunt that, you know, that, that, that growth, right, of where it's supposed to be, to the place where when the Son of Man comes, he finds that tenacity, he finds that persistence, he finds that true seeking, right? Because every now and then you, you, you hear some preachings, right, whether from a megachurch type um, setting or from any, you know, a person on social media, you know, you know, putting prayers out. And it's usually about, oh, Lord, you know, uh, I need even just even just this morning, I'd seen a, a prayer point that was posted on uh, on uh, I think it was uh, on a Celestial Church of Christ uh, Instagram handle and it says you're going to experience financial abundance within the next 48 hours. Affirm yes. Amen. Please, Lord, so yeah, send like, that down. I could use some exactly, of that. Exactly, right? It's, 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 who doesn't want that? And it's like, okay. Most people, of course, respond, a lot of people <clears throat> responded. But of course, if we put the same thing, you know, something similar that, um, you know, I say yes to praying that, you know, um, you get to, you know, learn about God more, to, to know God more. Not that people won't comment or say yes, but you would definitely see the stats, right? The statistics <laughs> would be different, right? Yeah. Perhaps by very, very large margin. But back to what I was trying to ask is, you know, where, what do we see as the hindrances, especially when we see cases in the Bible, right? And that people usually cite. That's where I think I was going initially when, you know, in these churches, they cite things like, oh, Hezekiah, for instance, you know, in his, let's say in his desperation not to die, right? He yeah. asked for he asked for an extension of life, right? Mm. And then you know we use that as a prayer point, and then you know we're not saying that people shouldn't make these types of prayers, right? But at what point does it begin to stop the evolution that is meant to happen and to really get us into that place of of the higher groaning that will that will have a, a be, you know that will have a stronger staying power and consistency that the Son of Man is asking, you know, like Jesus is, is, is asking that will he find when he returns. So what are some of those hindrances to that growth or evolution, do you think? I think the Ezekiah example is a really good one because, you know, we're told that, yes, God did lengthen Ezekiah's life, but the years, you know, that he was given, how did he use them? And so, you know, yes, he desired more life, but, you know, evidently with what we're told, the motive was more about, you know, life than God. Um, mm. And I'm also reminded of when James says, you know, that we, when we pray, you know, that, that many times we ask on this. Right. And right. James says the reason, you know, is because that we, we're praying and we're asking in order that we might, you know, uh, satisfy our lusts, cons- you know, uh, fulfill the, the desires of the flesh, right? Um, that's, that's the motive behind uh, a lot of our prayers. Right. Um, and so, you know, James says, well, you, you ask amiss so that, you know, you might consume, uh, you know, the desire upon the desires of your flesh. Um, and I think that those, those are the hindrances that uh, manifest themselves that prevent uh, the growth that uh, we, we are taught in Scripture to, to you know, that, that, that we should observe in our prayers. Right. It's because the, 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 the distractions and the hindrances are the desires of the flesh um, of of, you know, the and really that it, what it is. It's, it's money. Right. There's a reason the Bible always compares, you know, uh, God and, and the alternative being money. Right. Because, you know, right. uh, it's 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 what we, it's what makes the world go around is what, uh, uh, you know, is what uh, makes things happen. Um, and so, you, you know, you need it to, to sustain yourself and it's, it's the ultimate guarantee of, uh, of security, as, at least right. as far as the this world is concerned. concerned. Right. Yeah. 
And so, you know, it, that, that is the main thing. And so, you know, when we, when we are praying, what we're praying for is, is comfort. Um, and of course, financial, you know, uh, uh, increase is the, is, is, you know, nothing, you know, people, people often say, you know, yeah, money can't buy. I saw this one quote the other day that made me kind of chuckle and laugh. Uh, it says, it says, yes, money can buy happiness, but what money can't buy, I don't want, or I, or I, I'm not interested in, gotcha. right? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, actually, you know, that's a that's a pretty cheeky. Folks uh, these days, and they're clever means. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. clever. It's like, yeah, it's like what money can't buy, I'm not interested in. Right. And I was like, hmm, you know, it was it was pretty cheeky, but you know, the thing money can't buy, right? Is yeah, I recall when. Uh, uh, I, I forget the name of is it, uh, it Limas the sorcerer mm-hmm. uh, when he wanted to buy yeah. the, the 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 gifts of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Spirit right and you know uh, and and Peter says you know you and your you know you and your or is it Paul excuse me uh, you know says you you perish with your uh, you know with with your money um, and I I also recall uh, at the at the beautiful gates Peter and John saying look. Silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we give to you, which is the name of Jesus Christ, right? Which allowed him, and 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 that man would have given if he if he had if he was a billionaire he would have given his billions in order to have walked, right? Right. Um, and I and I think of when Christ says, you know, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Right. And so you know, it is, it, you know, I. I I, I mean, I think we, we know the distractions, right? The things that, you know, that affect all of us such that our prayers are mostly concerned with how can we live a good life, a comfortable life? How can we feel secure uh, in this world? But, all, but throughout Scripture, what we see, what we're admonished concerning is that God wants to give us something. And the thing God wants to give us is not of this world. It, the, it has nothing to do with uh, financial, uh, material success in this life. You know, Christ says to the woman at the, at the well, it says, you know, if you, had, if you had known who is standing here speaking to you, you would have asked him to give you water. Uh, and the water he would give you, you would thirst no more. Mm-hmm. Right? And the woman's, you know, she's thinking, hey, you know, I could use some of that water. I, I don't actually like coming in this well. So you, right. she's still thinking, right. you know, uh, from a worldly perspective. And, and right. all of us, you know, that's, that's you know, the, the, that's often the, the motive behind our prayer. And, you know, what, what, what I'd like to maybe even explore further is like, you know, how do we, you know, get to the place where when, when we pray and God says, um, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And we say, mm. yeah, you know what, Lord? Okay, you know, just like Paul, three times, and, and like you said, there's nothing wrong with asking. There's nothing wrong with praying a prayer for to be financially blessed. Um, so long as we understand that, uh, you know, Christ didn't die so that we all of us could be rich. You know, Christ didn't die um, so that all of us could be wealthy. And, and that's, in fact, that's a good thing. Right, that, that that it's not about wealth, because then what what do we say to those who are in uh, immense poverty all over the world? Right, right. Does the hope of Christ of the kingdom not apply to them, or you know, is is that what the kingdom is for, or, or people that die in poverty but right. have Christ? And so, you know, how do we get to the place where we can ask God, you know, for something? Maybe it is financial wealth. Um, and we we do ask over and over, like Paul did, that God should take away his his you know, infirmity. And for some people, it's not financial wealth, you know, it's uh, health as well. So they're praying for that healing, right. but maybe it never comes. And we say, you know, and, and the word of God to us is my grace, right? Again, that beauty of heavenly grace, my grace is sufficient for you. And that it does not trouble our hearts. Like our heart receives it and it is well with our soul. And we say, okay, yep, not my will, as Christ said in Gethsemane, Right. will be done be done yeah I, I agree um, I think you know it, I think that one of the things also that that stands as a as a hindrance 
um, along with with that, and I think you were you were you were you were touching on it, or you at least you, you were hinting on, at it, um, is the representation of who God is not being not being fully um, taught, right? Not being fully um, explained the the way it's you know the not being conveyed in the biblical fashion that it ought to be conveyed. And what I mean is this, is that a lot of these new age, or let me not say new age churches, but these you know, churches that, that, that are popular that we usually see, have a certain representation of God that although, that on the outside, right, the impression of God that they give is, it, it, sounds, it sounds great, right? Um, that there, and that he's the kind of God that will give you whatever you want. There's mm-hmm. nothing you're looking for. He will not give you that if you do not have it, you know, and, and there is this impression that they give, right? And you said something as you were speaking that, um, if I can recall, is that God aims to give us something. And that something is something that is not of this world. Yeah. Right. And that is and that to me is a powerful statement because I don't really hear much of that. The most the most, you know, the representation or the impression that you hear most of God given, you know, to to the congregation or to the masses. Right. Is is, you know, the greatest thing they're looking for or seeking. It's usually somehow tied to a worldly um, a worldly desire of some sort, yeah. right? Very seldom is it really tied to um, to that heavenly, that out of, out of this world thing that God wants to give. As you were speaking, I was trying to imagine, right, this world and the and, and the kingdom of God. This world is held together by currency. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we can do about it because it is the devil's world, right? It's you know, it, it, like you know, him being dubbed the prince of this world, and so on. This is the this world is it's 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 held by currency. It cannot survive without it. Yeah. But the kingdom that's going to come is not going to be held by currency, right? It's not going to be what dictates, right? It, it, you know, it says the kingdom of God is not dictated by meat or drink, mm-hmm. right? It is righteousness. It is it is peace. It is these are the currency of the kingdom of God. Right, um, it is not held by dollars, by by yen or yuan or naira or, or rupees or anything like that, which are the things that we are constantly desperate for in this world, and to be constantly desperate for those things, I wonder, you know, and it's it's again still tied to that same question: is what needs to happen somewhere in between hmm. that really transforms that person's, you know. Because already we're in the system. You and I work jobs that eight hours a day. We spend eight hours in the, in the, in the labor for currency. Now, probably that we do the things for God that we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I can at least admit to that, right? I can admit to that. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to pray and work, work towards that, of course. And, you know, um, but the same is for most of us and all of us, right? But something needs to happen. Because again, we're still talking about prayer, but not just the prayer, but consistency of prayer. Because I believe that in that parable, you know, Christ is very intentional with, the, with, the, with that parable construct and what it was supposed to achieve. That man must pray, right? And cease not. Yeah. And it's tied to when he does return, will he find such consistency? Exactly. Are there people still, you know, that still seeking seeking groaning kingdom, exactly right. yearning for for the kingdom has, has everybody gone their own way you know preoccupied with you know the the things of this world that's going to get them through you know what whatever they need right. to live a good comfortable life right exactly you know and and it's one of those things you know i, I, I you know i'm thinking about and you know how how does the church in this age right begin to begin to answer that problem that we see, because if we take our church for instance, right? Our church isn't immune, you know, to to what's happening all around, right? Let's take, you know, tithing for instance. You, I'm not saying our particular parish, but if you go to some parishes, right? I've heard it said even, you know, 
someone say, if you do not tithe, you're going to hell kind of thing, <laughs> right? If you don't pay your tithes, so, 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 and this, this and that happens to you, right? But again, going back to that representation of God, because if you actually read about the tithes in Malachi, right, you and I both know that it isn't even the people that 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 is being addressed to right it's it's the it's the levites right it's the those of the of the priestly order that are being addressed um by that but if, if we even go to is it is it deuteronomy when god speaks about you know tithing and if your tithing is too big to carry to the place where god has um, designated transacted into into Money. silver or something mm-hmm. like that right and he says when you get to that place i've designated right with that tithe use it to buy or to do whatever you want to do with it for you mm-hmm. right and be- there are very few people that know that right um because we keep touting we keep touting this message of um of, of, that 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 directs focus more to worldly desires and as a result and yes can prayer help us solve um worldly desires that's why i use that example that yeah can a, can a hammer kill an insect yes it can yeah but is that really what it, is it's that for. what the object was made for is that what it's for then we have to really talk about that i don't think so but you know Prayer, yes, can help lengthen your life, like Hezekiah, can yeah. help give you a child, like Hannah did in, in, in Shiloh, um, all of these amazing things. But is that really the, the reason for it? Is that truly the meaning yeah, for there, it? You know, and, and I think, yeah, that's what you know, we, we led off by saying the reason for it is the true purpose is to bridge the connection between man and his God. And, and, and if we, if we mm. think about when, when, when Christ began his ministry, what, did he, what was the first thing he did before he even started his ministry? He went right. into the wilderness to pray, mm. yeah. right? To, to, to be refreshed. And, what would he, what, and throughout his ministry, what would he always do? He would retreat yes. in prayer just so that he could re- make sure he was always in connection with, with the Father, he was, you know, mm-hmm. he was always hooked up to that connection. That's the true purpose of prayer. You know, we're told after he prayed that um, his, uh, you know, the angel, you know, and especially after he had, he had, he'd even been tempted. Yeah. After the forty days and forty nights of prayer and fasting, right? Uh, you know, but after the after he had prayed, the, the angels came and they they ministered, they strengthened, they renewed his vigor, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's what um, prayer. That's the real purpose of prayer. It is, it is to renew our vigor, to just reorient us back into the way of God, into, you know, yeah. I, I love that old song. I, I only know it in Europe, but I don't know the English translation, but it's, uh, I know the, the, the hour of sweet prayer, mm, right? right. Uh, and I love the, the, the stanza, you know, the, the verse says, it says the prayer. It says it 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 takes me away from this world, mm. right, and, and and brings me before the Father's throne, mm. that I might that I might you know tell him, I might lay my heart bare heart. Mm. before yeah. him, right. It says you know um, in times of despair, right, and worry and anxiety. It says prayer is comfort for my soul. It's nourishment for my soul. For the soul. That's what it is. Hmm. It's, it's therapy for the soul, if you will. It's right. nourishment. It's comfort for the soul. Hmm. During Amazing. the times of, you know, when you just, you, you, you need that ministration, you need, um, during times of contemplation, right? That's what prayer is. It's contemplation. Um, it doesn't have to be this kind of formalized thing. Right. It is. It is comp- contemplation. It is. It is pondering. It is. It is. It is thinking. It is thinking. Thinking through prayer. You know. Um, it's. Uh, uh, I think it's. Uh, I think Martin Luther said like he, he whenever like before he even did anything else. I, you'd have to look this up, but I believe yeah. it's the claim. Like he would spend three hours in the morning in prayer, just, but in, in contemplation. And that's yeah. a practice that, you know, there's some, some uh, orders still do today, some monastic orders. 
Um, you know, they just, they, they're, they, you know, they dedicate themselves entirely to, you know, they say contemplation and prayer that they might draw, that their soul might, might draw nearer to God, you know, and it's something that, you know, even uh, when you look at all religions, let's even say for a second, uh, we aren't talking about, we're not, we're not talking within the realm of Christianity. Christianity. There is something that all religions have stumbled on that man from the beginning has stumbled on is, you know, we, we call it meditation. Right. Right. That silence, that that quieting of the mind and trying to. And why, why is that important? And people, everybody, people use different kinds of phrases and ways to describe it. But there, what ultimately what everybody is concluding on is that when when you shut out the material world, when you put away the distractions and you focus Every, you know, people use different way, you know, ways to describe it, but they say you get to, you know, so you get to connect with the divine. Hmm. There is truth in that. Absolutely. Right. You know, you're talking about the distractions, you know, the, when, when we ultimately get to, to the, the, the place where, where Paul, you know, writes about, you say, you know, you just, you know, you, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm really yearning for you. I'm groaning. For you, all the other stuff, they are, they really are distractions. You, you, Lord, are, it is you, the divine, that I, I, I really want more of. That is my true aim and my true desire. Yeah. I, I, I think that this is a, this is a, a great note to, to, to land, uh, to land uh, this plane on. Um, I was actually worried that because prayer is such a diverse type of thing, I thought we'd probably go in so many, many directions. And my, my biggest fear was that we wouldn't be able to, to keep it focused. But I'm glad that we were able to sort of um, align the conversation, uh, keep it you know, pointed, at least in, 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 a, in a few areas. And perhaps you know, uh, we might treat the topic again and treat it on a... On a, on a another another aspect um, of prayer. So I think this is a good place uh, to land.